Welcome to Beyond the Sermon. I am Pastor Dave Rudat. I'm one of the hosts of Casting Nets. I am joined with, here with Pastor Dave Endorf. Known as the wrong Dave. We're known as the wrong Dave. Hello, Dave. Hi. And I'm also joined by Pastor Will Harley. Known as the right Will. The right Will. From St. John and Maribel. Here we are talking about Beyond the Sermon. Today you have a treat because we have three pastors, three sermons, one Sunday. And uh, we're going to be talking about Beyond the Sermon, some of the things we talked about in our sermons, some of the things we didn't get a chance to talk to. We have an opportunity for you to answer, to ask your questions about the sermon or application of the sermon or the texts or the Sunday. The world is your oyster. This is You've got three pastors here who are here to talk about yesterday's or two days ago, sermon, uh, pick our brains as we go through the scriptures together. So first off, let's look at first, uh, second, first Kings chapter 19, and that would be me. And uh, this is the account of Elijah and the, the Mount Horeb. First Kings 19, 9 to 18, Elijah came to a cave and spent the night there. The word of the Lord suddenly came to him saying, why are you here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, but the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are seeking to take my life. Then the Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the God of the Lord for the Lord is passing by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain and shattered the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And the fire, there was a soft, after the fire, there was a soft whispering voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. He went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. Then a voice came to him and said, why are you here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, but the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are seeking to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the wilderness of Damascus. When you get there, you are to anoint Hazael the king over Aram. You will also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Japat, from Abel-Maholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have preserved in Israel 7,000 whose knees have not bent to Baal and whose lips have not kissed him. That is my text for that day, my sermon was talking about how oftentimes our emotions don't always line up with the spiritual events that are happening in our lives. For example, when you were baptized, what was your emotional state? Um, when you had your first communion, what was your emotional state? Was it, you know, high that you, here you are receiving the Lord's body and blood? Is that a personal assurance of your forgiveness of your sins? Or were you terrified that you were going to trip on the railing or or those kinds of things, just nervous about um, the wafer sticking to the roof of your mouth. Your mind wasn't where you were. Your emotions weren't lined up with the event that just happened. So the story of Elisha, Elijah, I should say, was one. We had this great moment on Mount Carmel. And then he, after that great moment, there's this great disappointment because he was hoping that Ahab, who was there, would turn the corner and turn back to God. But instead, Jezebel sends a message to Elijah that he's, that his fate was the same as the uh, prophets of Baal, whom he had killed on the top of Mount Carmel. So Elisha, Elijah runs for his life. He's despondent. He is, uh, is no better than his ancestors. He, he prays. The angel restores him. He goes eventually to Mount, Mount Sinai. 
And he has that prayer that he prays twice, even though God gives him a nice message in the form of a, what would you say, a object lesson of the wind and the fire and the earthquake of Mount Horeb, demonstrating to Elijah that uh, God still is working in that still small voice, the, the whisper of the, of the word of God. He still has the same complaint, but God um, then also encourages him and does what Jesus does to the disciples. Uh, he gives them a direction, he gives them a commission, and then he also gives them a comfort. So he says, go back, uh, do all these things, anoint these kings and anoint Elisha as your successor. And then also there's 7,000 in Israel who have not uh, bowed down. So it's very much a Matthew 28, Jesus says, go out into the world, preach the good news, baptize, make disciples. Surely I'm with you always. It follows the same pattern of Christ in the New Testament. Um, our law is basically the, the, we're always looking at the right now, and it doesn't seem like things are matching up to how we feel they should match up. Um, we have a, a personal example I gave was, you have a funeral sermon, 300 people are there, and you're like, oh, this is great. And then the next Sunday, none of those people are there on Sunday, or they're not there for the following Sunday. They're not there for the next, in any of the Sundays after that, and you just come crashing down and you are despondent because your emotions aren't mined up with the amazing thing that God's word has been proclaimed in the midst of his people. Law and gospel is proclaimed. And now, um, and, and now God will work the way that he works and in his own time. Uh, one of the things I brought up in the sermon, which was neat how when God com commissions Elijah to um, anoint those kings is the, the long-term nature of that, that that actually never gets, never happens in Elijah's lifetime, but Elisha does it. And Elisha is the one that um, anoints Jehu and anoints Haziel. And uh, for me, that was, a, I saw in that a God explaining to Elijah that his ministry is still continuing. If Elijah is thinking, I'm no better than my ancestors, they put all these prophets to the, to the sword. I'm the last of the line of prophets. God gave him that commission to do all of those things to, in recognition that this ministry will continue uh, beyond him. Um, so that was that. So I didn't really get a chance to talk about those individuals. I just, in the sermon, I just talked about how God was, uh, was giving Elijah a commission, something that reminded him that his ministry was still needed his work was still needed and that God's work would still continue even if it's not on Elijah's timetable. So was there something in there that you thought, <clears throat> I, I wish I would have focused more on or something that, that maybe you thought um, I, I was very um, loose on? Um, I think the loose. Um, I like the, um, I, I really like the picture of Mount Sinai. I mean, you could spend so much time making the connections between where he was, perhaps the significance in God up, uh, sending the wind and the earthquake and the fire, reminiscent of Mount Sinai, reminiscent of uh, the giving of the covenant that God gave in the Old Testament, um, especially since Elijah is complaining that everybody had abandoned the covenant. Uh, there's so much you could talk about. Uh, God instituting that covenant at Mount Sinai, God's people breaking it, but then God still um, preserving his promise that he made, uh, that he was going to be their God. Did I, I had preached on um, that particular text some time ago, 
And and one of the things that I had I had kind of noticed, and and I don't know if you noticed it too or played on it or chose to go, uh, not circumvent it, but kind of wrap it in a different way. How uh, Elijah is so wrapped up in his own suffering. Um, you know, he kind of, he kind of runs away. He kind of, I mean, right before that he's being fed by birds, um, because the, the Lord had, had give that to him. Um, but he's wallowing in his own, almost like a self pity. And then he brings it to the Lord and he gives it to the Lord twice. I mean, the first time the, the, the Lord is talking with him and he says, you know, um, why are you here? And he gives this long explanation of why he's here because he's afraid. And it's, you know, I'm the only one I'm it. This is it. Um, and then when the Lord shows him all of the power coming back to the covenant, coming back to his promise, uh, and then, and then giving grace in that still voice, he gives him an opportunity to say, okay, now why are you really here? And he says, I told you, I'm it. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. I, I, I find that. Um, you could spend a lot of time on that, couldn't you? You how, could. How human that is. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I, I think especially in the, in light of, you know, what is it? Deuteronomy 19, where God says, I, I will raise up for my people a, a prophet like Moses. And, and so he should have known I'm not it. Because God very clearly had said, there's going to be another prophet like Moses, you know, the promise of the Messiah, you know, and sure. you're not the last. That's a good point. Yeah, you're not you're the not last. Not Elijah. He didn't read um, that part. No. And, and, but he does it. And, and that's where the amazing thing to me is you look at God's response and it's not... Um, you know, get out of here, you worthless cretin. It's keep doing your work as a prophet. You're still my dearly loved and forgiven child. It's it's grace, just pure and simple grace. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's how we so often make a, a bad situation worse for ourselves. Because we're sitting there like, oh, I should deal with this better. I'm a pastor. And we should. I am no better than my ancestors. You know, Elijah's right. Um, but God comes to us and says, this is why I died for your sins, because you aren't any better than your ancestors. And you are forgiven. And that's awesome. Is, I love that. Isn't it also a humbling thing? Isn't it Isn't it kind of a humbling thing to, to hear the Lord say uh, at the very end, right? Um you know, he's, he's self-pitying saying, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. And then the Lord gives him a vocational call, go back and do these things. And then almost as the tagline, just as like, a, you know, the Lord has a sense of humor. He's like, well, if you can't do it, I got, I got a couple thousand others I can call. <laughs> yeah. And it does take Elijah some time to, that this message gets through because once he goes to Elisha and throws the cloak over, you can still kind of, if you're reading between the lines, you see that, you know, when Elisha said, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Sure, fine, whatever. You know, don't, don't come back at all, basically. It's, you know, somebody's saying like, and, and Elisha does all this huge effort of, of commitment to the Lord and to the cause of being a prophet of God um, that I think, and this is my own opinion, where it's just, this is what Elijah really needed which is not just a reminder that there are 7,000, but just to have that personal 
companionship as he's doing this ministry that he that sure. everyday reminder he is not alone he is one of the 7000 well and then and then to realize you know he sent on a mission and this is going ahead because it's right before he was taken into heaven which was one of the readings a couple of weeks ago um he's he's traveling right and he's he's looking at all of the schools of prophecy uh, of of prophets <laughs> He's visiting them, and they're like, "Hey, you know, the Lord's gonna gonna take him, right?" And Elisha's like, "We're not talking about that." <laughs> but I mean, Elijah is visiting the places where God's people are. I mean, he's visiting the places where where people are doing ministry and they're being trained to do ministry. So I, I think this is, you know, what an opportunity to to focus your people on those times when we get into those funks and we we really think that the world is against us and we're the only people standing for what is right. And the Lord just, in a very beautiful way, um, he could remind us with fire and lightning. He could remind us with big gusts of winds. I mean, he could, he could burn our, our backyards like, like is what's going on in Hawaii. But instead, he speaks with a small voice and, and a whisper and, and gives grace and says, you're not it. It's fine. You know, that was kind of the, the whole point of, the, of all of the pericopes, weren't they? All of the readings. The point was, you're okay. So, yeah. well, and and I, I don't know if I'm going to slightly contradict Will here, but that's never say, happened before in my life where anybody's ever yeah, contradicted me. That that one of the things I I liked the most about um your your sermon is how you talked about you know your feelings are different from the spiritual reality because so often I I find this. Um, this section gets allegorized, you know, and so that still small voice becomes, you know, our internal feelings and God's talking to me that way. And, and that's not what it's meant to convey at all. You know, it's still an external voice of God and God comes to us, not through our feelings, but through word and, and sacrament. And, um, and so I'm just giving Will a hard time now because I'm sure he's not, he hasn't swallowed the Holy Spirit tail feathers and all. Um, I, I don't, but, I don't like feelings. I've, I've never liked feelings. <laughs> but, but this isn't meant to teach us that, you know, we look to our feelings and, and that's where we're going to find the will of God. It's meant to teach us that our feelings are wrong and we look to the God who, took care of Elijah and and gave the prophet Elisha and preserved his people for, you know, 4,000 years so that Jesus could die for our sins. And, and that's what we look to because he's in charge, not our feelings. Sure. My feelings are stupid. Yeah, they but sometimes, sometimes you need to have the Lord confront you even when you're feeling something and, and have to remind you you're okay. You're going to feel this way but you're still okay. And, and that's yeah. part of it too. So, I mean, we all feel something at some point, maybe most of us. Yeah. I mean, I never do. And your feelings may or may not agree with reality. Like Dave was saying, most of Dave's feelings don't agree with reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Everything has been said. Let's move on to Romans.
This would be Dave Endorf's sermon that he preached on, Romans 8, 28 to 39. Oh, that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who have been called according to his because those whom those God formed also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him? Who will bring any accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus, who died and more than that was raised to life, is the one who is at God's right hand and who is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powerful forces, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, so Dave. Um, as we, as I preached on this, um, we had, it was kind of the second in a, a two-part series. I preached on the Ephesians 1 section from the week previously. So where I had talked about you know, God predestining us to be holy, blameless, and righteous from before the creation of the world. And then this was more of a focus than on um, uh, you know, what that, how that plays out in the life of a Christian, where we suffer for each other's sake, that as God's dearly loved children who are holy, blameless, and righteous, we take up our cross and follow him. We are willing to suffer. And so I talked about things we should be willing to do for other people, um, even when it means we suffer, um, but sometimes aren't because it would be hard. Um, and then that, uh, you know, the, the gospel for that is that in, in this predestination, you know, God knew that already, you know, you know, go back to the first part of this. God knew that already from before the creation of the world when he planned to die for our sins. And that's what Christ was, was thinking about as he, he knelt in the, the garden of Gethsemane, why he sweated, sweated great drops of blood, you know, why he, he was willing to go to the cross. It's why he, he washed us, instituted baptism, and he washed us clean uh, so that we would be um, purified and that we still have that opportunity to take part in his plan of salvation because, you know, he daily and, and fully and frequently, constantly forgives us all of our sins and that as we do these things for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, for the people around us, you know, we're helping them get to heaven 
as well as, as God works through us. Um, so, you know, that was the, the guidance we have as part of the church, um, you know, and third use of the law. The part that I didn't get to that I, I really wish I could have and, and could have spent a lot more time on in the past three weeks is, um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, we are holy, righteous, and blameless before God. And, and what that means, and especially how predestination and God's control over things helps us to be holy, righteous, and blameless. Because it, it sets us free from um, external motivation. And, and Article 5 of the... Um, Formula of Concord really talks about it well, you know, in, in distinguishing law and gospel, that we don't do things either out of fear of punishment or a desire of rewards, but simply because we love God and know he's going to take care of us. And and that's what, you know, these really cover. And so I, I help my neighbor because it pleases God. And I don't have to worry about threats. You know, I, I don't have to do this because um, if I don't do this, the church is going to die off, you know, and we're a smaller congregation. So there's kind of a lot of that fear, you know, if we don't do something, you know, our church could die, you know, well, we don't have to worry about that. God's going to take care of us, you know, and so we do it out of that freedom that God has, who is entirely unmotivated by fear or worry because he's God. And so that's what it means to be renewed in the image of God and, and true righteousness and holiness is we do things out of love the same way God does. And that continuing care that's, that's always taken care of us and will always take care of us is there to help us be, you know, holy, righteous, and blameless even when we're suffering and, and doing something that is hard and, and difficult for the people we love and care about as well. That's a, <clears throat> a unique uh, um, verse there for the readings because it tackles so much in, in a considerably short paragraph. Um, and, and I give you a lot of credit for uh, weeding your way through that and, and really trying to pull out of their one specific thought without getting kind of bogged down in all of the thoughts that Paul throws at you in that, in that text. Um, I mean, I can only imagine that your people are, we're probably sitting in the pew going, I want to hear more about this predestination. What's pastor going to say? And, and you kind of said, I want to focus on the holiness. I want to focus on what, what is God doing through us um, because of his promises and what a great, great way to kind of refocus them on things that they're probably not going to be able to grasp and they're probably not going to be able to understand um, because it takes a longer conversation and said, I'm going to focus you on on this because this is what we can we can really hold on to um, and we can understand right now. So I, I think that was a, a really good idea, a really a challenge, but but a good one. So thanks. Well, and it, it helped to have you know, those two readings in the pericope 
right next to each other to do the one with Ephesians and then the one with Romans and very good. Yeah. And the one with Ephesians, it's, it's, yeah. they, they give you the both, both spots back to back in scripture that deal with predestination and, and the gift of that, of faith. So. Right, Dave. I don't have anything to comment to you. Yeah. Right, Dave. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, Dave. I don't have anything to comment on. I do I'll commend you also, uh, Dave, as you're trying to Talk, tackle this topic of predestination that you're following the solid declaration of the formula of Concord and article five, when it's talking about election is saying we cannot, we can't talk about predestination really outside of justification and the means of grace and God saving us. Cause once you start looking at it in terms of God's naked uh, will and intellect outside of his desire to save us, then you, you just really get into dangerous territory. So I, um, I commend you for doing that, for talking about predestination. We're going to talk about predestination, but it's all about Christ and all about what he did yeah. for you and what that means. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when we, I think the one thing we, we leave out that we should probably add is, um, you know, the, the only thing we can say about, um, you know, why God chose us that we should admit freely is that God chose us because of our weakness. You know, um, I, I, I am the chief of sinners and, and that's why God chose me to, to demonstrate his grace. And so if there is anything about me that God, that prompted God to choose me, it's so that you guys would know if God can save Pastor Endorf, he can save you too. <laughs> and I am in no way better than anybody else and quite the opposite. Um, and I, I think that's where so many people get into problems with predestination is they don't want to admit they're, they're worse. <laughs> I am a bad example. And, and that's what God makes clear in his word. Yeah, and I think sometimes people, and this comes back down to to um, Dave Rudot's uh focus you can't talk about predestination if you remove Christ from the picture um because it is predestined in to be conformed to Christ predestined to be in Christ um you know when you you, you look at that it's really what was predestined Christ to die for you what was predestined Christ to be um the new Adam right because the old Adam failed um that, that Christ predestines us, or uh, God predestines Christ, and we are found in him. He died for the world. Um, it, there's just so many beautiful things that, that if you start getting down that road and you're starting to say, well, why did God choose me over someone else? Or, or you start having those discussions, you end up saying, well, I must have something better in me. And you said it so well. I don't have anything better in me. This is all on Christ. <laughs> this is all on Christ. Um, um, God's predestination rests on Christ and, and on Christ alone. And that's a, it's an awesome thing to be able to say. It's a very hard thing to wrap your head around. Um, yeah. Well, and, and that's where it, um, I appreciate where we stand in church history because we, we don't have to figure out how to talk about it. Um, we can just use the formulas that other people have fought over and say, you know, the, the three the Trinity 
is three persons in one being. Do I understand it? No. Because he's God and I am not. Um, but we've all agreed on the terminology. And so that's what we go with. You know, um, are good works necessary? Yes. Are they necessary for salvation? No. It's terminology. We understand how to talk about it. And that's where we leave it. And, and the same is true with predestination. Uh, you know, you get the point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got the point. I'm ready to move on. Will, are you ready to move on? Uh, yay. I'm not, re- I am not Will, in control of this rodeo. <laughs> All right. So we have, we're going to finish off with Pastor Will Harley's. And uh, this is Matthew 14, 22 to, 20, to 33. Immediately, Jesus urged the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed the crowd, he went up into the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. By then, the boat was quite a distance from shore, being pounded by the waves because the wind was against it. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and cried out in fear. It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. Peter stepped down from the boat, walked on the water, and and went towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he was afraid. As he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Yeah, it's a good text. I like it. <clears throat> Jesus in it. As Jesus in it um, made the gospel real easy to preach. Um, no, I, uh, uh, you know, we had translated this um, together, Dave Rudat, and um, and we worked through it. And, and it was just, I think, uh, what stuck in my head as I was preparing the sermon was, um, do we have control over the promises of God or are the promises of God still his promises? Whether, whether we doubt them or, or we're afraid or not. And um, <clears throat> I came onto the came back onto the side of God's promises are always God's promises and God's promises will always remain whether I'm afraid or whether I doubt. And so how did that shape my sermon? Well, it, it shaped my sermon in um, by saying um, when f- my, my theme when fear and doubt cloud promise. Um, and and I kind of focused on you know, we got a lot of stuff going on. We have, I mean, we have the ending of a meal. We have the Lord sending um, his, uh, the people away because they want to make him into a bread king. That's that's from the Gospel of John. We have uh, the Lord sending the disciples out. Um, he goes up to pray, which is he, he's going to take the time to do what he's been intending to do since he got there, which is you know mourn the loss of of his his cousin, uh, pray for those who who didn't get it. They they just didn't understand what was really going on. Um, and, uh, it gets to be late in the evening and, and he comes walking out on, on the water. And, and I, I kind of said, you know, the, the, the vision that we have of him walking out on the water is probably not what, what really happened. And I said, you know, um, the occurrence of, of what happens with Peter is only found in Matthew. And I said, I, I, and I, I tried to bring some levity 
and say that it only is found in Matthew because Matthew was watching Peter because, you know, if you've watched The Chosen, Peter and Matthew kind of have some tension. Um, and, and, and Peter uh, doesn't really like Matthew all that much. And Matthew's like, you know what? By the Spirit, I am going to make sure everyone laughs at you. Um, and so <clears throat> he kind of includes it where no one else of the gospel. I'm just trying to bring some levity. I mean, but I, I said, you know, um, I, as I, as I preach this, like John and the running to the tomb. Absolutely. Type absolutely. Yeah. You know, the Holy spirit wants, you know, there to just be some clear stories that we see the weaknesses of these people. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I, I kind of said, you know, Jesus is walking on the water. I said, I don't know if it's a Red Sea moment where the waves just are breaking around him and he's walking on the still water. I don't know how that was. But I said, you know, um, <clears throat> I said, he, he comes and, 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 and in one of the Gospels, John, he's walking by the boat like he's going to go on. And in the rest, he's, he's approaching it. And I said, it doesn't really matter. It's pitch dark outside. There's no way you should be able to see anybody and you see Jesus. So, I mean, there's a, there's a holiness factor going on. And I said, you know, they're not screaming ghost. They're screaming phantasm. They're screaming, you know, this idea that they're seeing something that shouldn't be there. They're seeing Christ in a way that, that he shouldn't be seen. They're, they're seeing him walking on water. He shouldn't be on water. That, that's not normal. And, and that makes them afraid because they're, in, and they're, they're among something that's holy, something that shouldn't be. And um, instantly the Lord calms their fears, take heart. He uses an I am statement, literally, ego, me, I am. And, and um, he, he says, don't be afraid. And I, I said, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the wind, in the middle of the waves, the Lord didn't take him away. But the whole idea uh, or, or the whole feeling in the boat, the whole, the whole atmosphere changed. And, and Peter responds, as he normally is, is wont to do, right? He responds in, in that calm, and he says, he says, if it is you, but it's not a question. He's making a statement. It is you. Call me out. Simple, conditional, yeah. since you are. Yeah, since you are. Since, you, since you're here, call me out to walk on the water. And, and the Lord doesn't say, okay, I'm going to repeat everything you said, Peter, and I'm going to say, well, come on out, walk on water. He just says, come. And, and I, I, I use that part of the law. I said, we give Peter a ton of flack because of what happens later, right? We give him a, we always make fun, well, he sank or whatever. And I'm like, he got out of the boat. I said, how many, how many of you would, would have gotten out of the boat? I mean, you'd be like, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm just going to, I mean, the, the other, yeah, the other 11 <laughs> were like, I'm fine. He got out of the boat. I said, we give him a ton of flack, but he, he actually did it. He got out and he walks across the water and, <clears throat> and that's where my, my discrepancy, I said, you know, you see these pictures and some of them are very beautiful pictures of, of Peter, you know, kind of the look, you're looking through Peter's eye and you're looking up in the ripples of the water there and, you, and Jesus is reaching down to grab you. And I'm like, well, those are beautiful pictures. And I, I'll admit it. I said, they're wrong. <laughs> every, every one of them are wrong. And I said, you know, he's out on the water. And I said, the, the scripture is very clear. It says he sees a strong wind. I said, how many of you can see wind? I said, have any of you seen wind? And no one raised their hand, so I'm assuming they all agreed you can't see wind. I said, you've seen the effects of wind. I said, how many of you have seen the effects of wind? And they raised their hand. I said, you've seen waves. You've seen, you know, what the wind blows. But I said, you don't see the wind. And I said, that's, that's our sinful nature. Our sinful nature jumps at shadows. Our sinful nature uh, sees things 
that aren't there. They're not real. And they get in the way of promises. They get in the way of, of what God has given and what God has promised and what God has, has made as a certainty for us. And I said, and I said, the beautiful part of this entire text is that Peter was fine. And, and I said, the scriptures, I don't know how else you can explain it. The scriptures do the very best it can by the spirit to say he began to sink. He didn't sink. He thought he was sinking. He didn't. I said, you've ever been in water and began to sink? You either are in water and you sink or you don't. You don't begin to sink. It's not like I step into the water and I'm instantly sunk. That's, that's how that works. And then they also said, you know, the Lord, he reaches out. As he cries out, the Lord doesn't stretch down. It says he stretches out. He's right there. And so I kind of made the focus of my sermon just because we're afraid, just because we doubt, just because we are dealing with the world around us and its uncertainties, it does not take away from what God has promised, and it doesn't stop what God has promised. His promises are still there. They have, I have no control over what God has promised and, and, and stripping that. It's there. It, it remains. Um, and so... That was kind of where my, my, my focus was. And, you know, he comes back and, and he, he walks Peter back and he doesn't say, uh, Peter, you fell from faith. He just says, Peter, you know, um, you have a weak faith. You're doubting that my promise was consistent and my promise would remain. And, and I said, and that happens. Um, it happens a lot um, where we, we doubt and the Lord reaches out and he grabs us and he says, it's okay. You're, you, you, you didn't go anywhere. And, and I, I kind of ended my sermon with, you know, um, the wind is going to rage. Um, the waves are, are, are going to roll. I said, Satan is going to, to rant and rave. And I said, but the water is still going to be as solid as God has promised it to be. Um, you're, you're still going to be on the water. You haven't sunk. You're fine. Um, and so that's kind of where, where I, I ended my sermon that, you know, there's these things in life. Um, but, he's there. And when we cry out, everything's fine. He's still there. It's, it's fine. Um, <clears throat> now there's some, you know, I, I was toying with, um, my own, in my own mind and my own sermon prep, you know, I was toying with, um, new ways to present the gospel. Um, I, I, I noticed my rut and it's not a bad thing at all. Um, to always go back to, well, he, Jesus died and he, Jesus rose and and Jesus is is now here, you know, uh, for you. And and we do the cross speech, um, and that's perfect and that's wonderful and, and needful. But in this case, I, I I really wanted to. He's there, and he promised. And the same one who promised to Peter to come, and Peter was fine, is the same one who promises, "I am with you always," and he is. And the same one who says, "I have good things for you," and he does. Uh, and the same one who says, I will make sure you have a mansion prepared for you. And it is, um, uh, and, and, and carrying on that, that idea. So, uh, things I wish I could have done better <clears throat> or, or, uh, that I skipped over. I skipped over the entire front. <laughs> um, I mean, there's some really fun stuff that you could say, you know, um, the people who had ate, uh, eaten the meal, um, they didn't think of Jesus and didn't didn't really respond to to the miracle uh, in faith. Um, there was more of a physical. Let's have more. Let's have more bread. Um, 
the disciples were out on the water battling the waves and never once cried out and asked for the Lord uh, uh, to help. And so um, you could you could have made a lot of comments towards that and saying, you know, why do we fail to come to the Lord in prayer? Um, I could have focused on on the results of of the worship um, when he got back into the boat. Uh, which is really the the other gospels? They don't even focus on Peter walking on water. They just focus on they they worshipped right. Um, they they worshipped him because they see him as Lord. Um, and I did not focus really on that. So there it is. Questions for me? You may disagree. Starting now. <laughs> I think you did a great job. I don't have anything to say because I said it all last Monday when we were going through the text. Yeah, I. And whether you listen to me or not, whether a person fails to listen to Rudat or not, that's all right. The word has already been spoken. I listen. Uh, I listen. I I really like this text a lot more because we studied it, but just because of the the Sunday school picture of Jesus reaching down to grab Jesus, Peter out of the water, making it sound as if it's his lack of faith that causes him to sink. And it's all about us to come up with a strong faith in order for us to walk on water too. And that, not that we would actually walk physically walk on water, but just the metaphor of doing great things for God because he had promised it. Uh, I just, I really like that in the text where it, it doesn't give us that picture, um, but it does give us a picture of Jesus being the one who promises and the one who is faithful. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus saying, I am, it is I, you know, the guy of the Old Testament, the one who promised Eve that he would, you know, send the, 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 the savior who would crush the serpent's head, you know, I'm the guy who makes promises. I'm the one who, who makes covenants with his people. And I keep my side of the covenant. I'm going to keep my side of the covenant here. Don't be afraid. Um, and I'm with you and I'm watching over you. Even in midst of like we were saying how the disciples were straining against the waves, but there's no mention of them praying. There's no mention of them crying out. It's just, this was an opportunity for them to pray, but they weren't. But yet Jesus still goes out to them because he has compassion on them, not because they cried out to him, not because they did anything to, to spur his action. But rather, that's because that's who he is. Absolutely. Well, and, and I would say that um, one of the things I, I like to encourage people with is that, uh, you know, they have grown spiritually and have grown in maturity it's just hard to recognize because those things take time and so we we think that you know oh i've never asked god for me to walk on water okay but you have asked for amazing miracles when uh you've asked for somebody to be cured of cancer when you've asked for somebody to be um, healed of pneumonia or or things like that. You know, kids who have asked for God to help them get through a test they never studied for. You know, you're, you're asking for an amazing miracle. And, and that's Turn this Twinkie into there. something nutritional. We've all, okay, honestly, we've all been in seminary. We've Thank you, all, Lord, for this wonderful gift. Let, let's, let's just be honest. Being in seminary. Defy the laws of physics so that this Twinkie actually sustains me. Being in seminary, we have all prayed, Lord, let me pass this test I didn't study for. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I had Greek, he, Greek, German, and Latin at the same time. Like, I, 
Yeah. I mean, that, that is clearly a proof that there are miracles. Well, the, the, I think the um, seminary purposely sets those up so that we pray. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, and, you know, God, you know, and so we, we are, and I say that so that we properly express thanks to God for the faith that we do have and the things that, you know, he, he has worked in our hearts because it's there. Um, and the other thing I, I love about this text is just to see how unbelievers will react to it. Like, you know, and it, it really exposes how they think we're idiots. Like, oh, the, the Sea of Galilee is really shallow. And, and so they probably hadn't gotten that far because of the storms. And so he was just walking out in really shallow water, you know, and like, like the disciples who were fishermen wouldn't have known the difference between shallow water and walking on top of the water. It was plexiglass. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you think they're that dumb? <laughs> you think that's going to impress them? Really? Yeah. But it, it, it is a, you know, I think all of the texts today offered such beautiful, um, uh, variety in the sense that that we are following a theme, right? The 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 theme ultimately is is a Lord who is, who promises and a Lord who gives and a Lord who encourages us to go out. Um, but but within that theme and within that that general idea, we have such a variation. You know, we have the holiness of our Lord as He continues to make us holy in Christ, um, and and we have. We have one who who bolsters us up when we're at our very lowest and says, you're not the only one. I still have everything in control. And then we have the one who's who's, you know, just sitting there and perfectly fine, standing on the water, freaking out at the things he can't see. And and all of them kind of uh, swirl around and, and make that beautiful picture of a Lord who who makes continues to make sinful people holy. A Lord who continues to encourage to go and live life and do the things that, that I've sent you to do. And the Lord who says, you know what? I am the value to your, your crazy life. <laughs> you know, I am here for you, and, and I'm not going to leave you at all. And there's the sound. We could say just amen at that. But you know what? Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for Beyond the Sermon. I, I was going to get long-winded anyway, and so it was a good cutoff for me. Um, but no, if you haven't had an opportunity I'm, to listen. I'm sorry, I, didn't mean to interrupt. Yes. I, I thought I was going to bring up the volume low, and then all of a sudden like, it came out strong. It was my fault. No, I think, I think that uh, um, I would highly recommend going and listening to all the sermons if you have an opportunity to do so. Um, have a, take a listen. It's always good in the middle of the week to be reminded what went, went on. Um, and then also, and this is my challenge to all of the, the people still remaining, put your comments on the show of, of how that text kind of hit you. Um, I, I think that goes a long way to help this conversation go on and also help us as preachers to see, you know, what are the things that, that we're, we're our members and the people who are listening to these things are, are kind of interacting with these um, so, so if you do that, that'll help us out a long way. Uh, any other announcements? 
Uh, all three sermons are actually posted in this event. So if you wanted to listen to Pastor Endorf's sermon, I posted a link to his YouTube page where they could uh, you could watch it, and I actually have it right when the sermon starts, um, even though, yeah, anyway. Um, and then also, same thing for St. John Maribel, where I've got a, a YouTube link, and then you've got a link for, for my audio one that I did last Sunday. And mine starts right when you click on it, because it's not the whole service, just the sermon. There you go. That's my little passive aggressive dig on having a sermon list of sermon playlist on your YouTube channels, but <clears throat> it's, it's and receive the confession and absolution. If the, even if the pastor has no idea who you are and can actually look into your eyes and, and, and tell you that you are forgiven. Uh, but you can also hear that from somebody. Are you making fun well. of my services right. being streamed? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> Are you making fun of as I look at the camera and I say, I mean you? Are you saying God's <laughs> grace cannot travel through the, the internet? Through the internet. To the ears. <laughs> and through time. Through time. <laughs> the words that you spoke on Sunday. Be preserved for others to hear. <laughs> what? What? I think I hear my wife calling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs>